The presenting sponsor for On Education is Classcraft. We're excited to announce Classcraft's new story mode, which makes it easy for educators to harness the power of stories. Episodes 1 and 2 of Season 1 are ready for you and your students to play today, and it's completely free. To learn more about Classcraft and the new story mode, simply visit classcraft.com slash oneducation. Some listeners are listening to this and go, God, they're geeky. Welcome to Uneducation, part of the Education Podcast Network. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss the end to timed high stakes tests and why there are so many teacher shortages. We will debate whether Pinterest and Teachers Pay Teachers are legitimate places to find teaching resources. And our guest this week is educator and amazing podcaster, Tim Cavey. I am legitimately hooked on Minecraft hardcore mode. Ooh, still playing that? Legit. I got to jump on there with you. So, so I'm, I died on my first one. Yeah. First one. Like, yeah. So I started a second map. Okay. And it's funny. I, (laughs) yeah, yeah, no, I'm in and I'm learning. It's so great because you learn things, you learn Mm -hmm. tricks and like ideas on how to stay alive. And like, um, I'll tell you, man, there's so, so much, this is the way Minecraft was meant to be played. I'm absolutely convinced it's so much fun. Yeah. Um, so the second one is funny. The second one I died, I was up at, I was playing at like one in the morning, which is Ooh. like super late for me. Mm-hmm. I'm old at this point <laughs> <laughs> and I, I can't be staying up till 1am to do anything, let alone playing video games. I'm not 26 anymore. And so, yeah totally up at 1am playing minecraft hardcore mode and i died i i got burnt by some lava i did like a classic mistake and mined something right above me and and the lava came down right on top of me it's just completely dumb um and i totally i feel so bad about this i totally looked up how to like hack hardcore mode to get back (laughs) into it (laughs) did you get back in yeah totally you you big cheater so so I yes, said to Isaac in the morning. Yeah, yeah, totally. I said so I said to Isaac in the morning. I said he said, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, I I started again." He said, "Why would you start again?" And I said, "Well, I died and I hacked my way to um getting out of it so that I could keep playing it and I felt guilty. <laughs> so I so I'm I'm stopping that that world I, it's not i can play it anytime i want guilty now got you from, but i felt guilty about it because the minecraft world yeah <laughs> so that's so, though is i tell people creative is amazing and there's a billion things you can do with it but yeah revival there's something to it uh especially yeah. oh if, yeah if you've never played minecraft you should play number one yeah and then play it in survival mode yeah and you will get this anxiety. It's <laughs> um, a whole it, other world, it's, man. It's 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 a, it's a really really fun game, and if you play it with multiplayer, then survival, then it's really interesting too. As we were doing it with Steve Isaacs, and and uh, yeah, I'll join you again then, whatever world you're actually going with this time. We will uh, we'll get that. Uh, I have a multiplayer server, hardcore nice. multiplayer server up, so we'll we'll keep playing that. We, uh, but I'm into it. Uh, so so I've started to actually put 
some of um I, i've been recording this third session yeah that i'm on so i died that second time and, and so i've started again i'm on my third hardcore map and i, I recorded every day Nice. So I screen captured every day. Okay. And I'm actually putting them on YouTube. So I'll put those. Um, I created a whole new YouTube channel just to put these videos on it. Okay. And, and it? Hmm? I'll, I'll put it on, I'll put it on, on YouTube <laughs> or on, on the show notes. So if you want to go see my Minecraft hardcore mode, and also I have some world of Warcraft dungeon videos because I'm also <laughs> playing wow a lot. Okay. Um. So you can go look at those because some listeners are listening to this and go, "God, they're geeky." I'm such a giant nerd. I'm I'm 40 years old, yeah, living in like a 22 year old's body. When still. people say like midlife crisis, this is our midlife crisis. <laughs> Absolutely. Playing video games and streaming them live to Twitch or to whatever, and posting them on YouTube. And then when we get our uh, our when I grew up, I want to be a YouTuber. I you know I. <laughs> When you get your 50 subscribers on on Twitch, which is a big freaking deal. It's so dang hard to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like celebrating. You got your little badge. Or 100, 100 subs oh, on YouTube so you can have a custom YouTube.com yeah, slash and so then your name. Difficult. People yeah. don't understand. It's not yeah. easy. It's a tough game. Yeah. But yeah. You know, on education channel only has like 32 subscribers. Like what hey. the hell people, what, what are you doing? <laughs> we have thousands of listeners <laughs> and 32 subscribers on YouTube. Let's go people. Let's go. Mom, fulfill our midlife crisis. With you. Jeez. <laughs> please, please <laughs> help me become a YouTuber. Yes. That's all I want. <laughs> Uh, oh boy so let's let's there are some serious things that we should talk about now i guess oh boy it's hard to follow that up um but to be honest there was actually an insane amount of like interesting articles and and conversations happening on edu twitter this week um and one of the the neatest articles we came across was in the Washington Post about a fellow who teaches history. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, history three times in a row. We've talked about history yeah. on the podcast three weeks in a row. Uh, who does not use history textbooks? And to be honest, history is one of those classes, especially in high school, that is synonymous with textbooks. Like oh, big- you, you had a history textbook. You had to. And it was huge. And this guy is this guy refuses and and he teaches ap courses so advanced placement courses that require right. an test at the end you know what i mean right. so we're talking about government and politics courses and history courses that are the most advanced level high level students and then they need to take a test at the end to get credit basically for it and he's doing it all without textbooks Man, we've got to applaud this guy. He's just just freaking awesome. Mark Ingerson is his name, and he teaches in Virginia. So and he's going he's going the Glen Irvin route he, on the in the picture. He's got a guitar. I love that. There's, <laughs> and you know what? We're gonna have to get a link to this because this the look of the girl on the bottom right. Everybody's got to look at it. This is the exact look that all of my students gave me on many occasions of like, so funny. what is wrong with this guy? I love this guy already. <laughs> he's like, yeah. he's singing some song about some historical event and he's jamming it out. And not and caring though, that he looks like a giant dork. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't care. And it's called, I guarantee his students, like he said, are going to, uh, are going to recall this information and, and then they're doing really, really well on this really difficult standardized test um, that they have to take at the end. So they're doing really well. He's, 
He's saying, forget the textbooks and the textbook companies. Yeah. Uh, we need to step away from that. And there's so many other resources we can use, which I, I, I mean, you would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was, I feel like it was Sunil Singh who said that history, teaching history was about the story. Yes. And and about it being compelling. And when you when you tell a compelling story, and there are there are tons of them in history. It's why I love history, is because the stories are compelling. When you know the stories, instead of just barfing out the dates and names yeah. of things, when you know the stories, that's when you become passionate about history. And and that's what this guy's doing. He's mm-hmm. he's shifting the focus off of dates and names and all of this nonsense that that is the the minutia and wrapping it in the story. Because if you if you understand and appreciate and love the story, you will also remember the dates and names. Yes. And that's the key to teaching history. That's why I always wanted to be a history teacher. As Sunil said, though, it's the key to teaching. You got to yeah, have relevant stories or the things that bring people in. And that's what we really want to listen to. And we remember those things, whether yeah. it be a part of history or he was talking about math and ma- basically making it where we want to know more. It's a mystery. Yeah. You want to solve it. You want to actually, I want to know what's the next thing. What happened next? What's, you know, why did this happen? All those kinds of things. So fantastic. I, I mean, is it uh, Matt Miller, right? That wrote the mm-hmm. ditch, ditch that textbook. Yep. And that's what I'm talking about. This is exactly, I mean, in, in the most complex setting, which would be a uh, advanced placement history and economic courses where basically a lot of those tests are textbook driven. I would say a lot of that stuff, they're interconnected with each other. And this guy's like, we don't need to do that. And we can still be successful. Fantastic job. Uh, and and hopefully that passes along to other people. They're willing to take the risk. Maybe reaching out to him even and saying, "Okay, so what do you got? How, you know, what do you? How are you uh, doing this? You know, and stepping away from the textbook. And then how did? What was your process? So that would be awesome for him to share that too. It was awesome. Very cool. Yeah. It, very very very. I, I'm just so happy to see someone taking the approach that I probably would have taken to history as well because uh, I think there's so much more to it than just you know, the names and dates on the paper in, in, in the book. This next article is it's time to end timed tests. So I'll admit, I mean, I had timed tests. I had timed quizzes, um, but you know, I, I guess, I mean, I think my timings were like literally logistical, like as in, you know, we have to be done at a certain time to do, you know, to for recess or lunchtime or classes over kind of thing. Um, but but the, the premise of this article, right, is why do we believe that speed reflects intelligence, right? Yeah. And I, I was just thinking about this when you were saying you did have time tests. A lot of us do. Um, and mm-hmm. with, as long as it's used to, for formative assessment, you're actually using it to drive instruction so that you can know what the kids know at the moment. Maybe you have a two minute quiz sure. uh, during the middle of class at the end of the week, whatever it might be. So you can go ahead and go, okay, here's the data that I have so that I can go ahead and change or adjust my instruction 
and make sure that I may need to differentiate whatever I need to do. So it's formative. But these big summative assessments, and especially the high stakes summative assessments. So we're talking about the ACT and the SAT. When you have a specific section and you have to take it within a period of time and in order to be able to say, you know, okay, this is, you know, this section is 90 minutes with 90 questions or whatever it might be. And as this article says, you know, brain research tells us that there's, everybody (laughs) performs at different speeds. It doesn't mean you don't know the stuff. Uh, And it it basically a lot of those, uh, I I don't know if you know of all the the big industry that has, that teaches kids how to perform well on the SAT and ACT. It's not only, uh, yeah, and it's not only a thing about um, being able to memorize a bunch of stuff or strategies for taking the test, but a lot of it has to do with being able to work under pressure. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. And in the end, Mike, how much is that translated to the workplace? Like, how often does my principal come into my office and say, "Hey, you have sixty minutes to complete the following task, or you lose." You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. It's like that's ridiculous because he knows okay if you confine me in that amount of space the product that you will get probably won't be that good good. no it won't be as good you won't be able to go in and think through things when you know it it, all of us take different amount of times to do whatever it might be and taking high stakes tests and being judged on that because of the speed at which you do things is just it's wrong and hopefully there is a trend towards moving away from that. So we'll see if that ends up happening. Absolutely. Um, Speaking of wondering if things are going to end up happening, um, there's a lot uh, of tension in Ontario. Mm -hmm. um, And and you've um, brought this up because um, teacher strikes are back in some other regions in the U.S. Strike dates announced. Uh, at a couple of school districts in the U.S. And I'll tell you, um, there's going to be a strike in Ontario. Uh, I'm absolutely convinced that we, we narrowly averted a support staff strike just last week. Um, they reached a deal on Sunday night at like 10 o'clock at night. Uh, and most school boards had announced that if there was a strike by these support staff, they were going to close the schools. Ooh. So... It went right to the last minute with that, which was um, depending on the school board district, um, it was it affected different people. But for like Toronto District School Board, it was quite a few support staff, not just the um, not just like the janitors and and and, and people like that, but um, some ESLs um, teachers and um, uh, the um, um, the support workers in like the lower primary grades were also in that union. Um, So it was affecting quite a bit of people. Um, What's going on in, I guess it's park County. Yeah. Park County is, is basically there's a uh, town called fair play in Colorado. It's I believe South of Denver. If I remember my geography there, I used to live in Colorado there. Um, But it's another situation where, uh, just teachers, the cost of living and the benefits that are being offered to them are just not appropriate for 
for what is needed. You don't have to be able to not even just, I mean, in this case, just survive. The cost of living in Colorado, we've talked about that several different times, has gone up so crazily. And definitely teacher pay has not kept up with it. And this is kind of a, I would call it a rural town. You know, it's Hmm. not, it's not at all a city or whatever it might be. I'm not sure how many people live there, but it's not very big. And it's, it's just so ridiculous that we have these teachers who are struggling to pay their bills and uh, the cost of living goes up. All of the types of costs go up and yet we can't find ways to be able to compensate them correctly. And in Colorado, out of all the states in the United States, because of the legalization of marijuana, talk about a humongous industry that brought a humongous tax re- revenue in. And mm-hmm. that was one of the promises, Mike. I was there when when they, the talks were actually starting to happen, blah, blah, blah. And that was a long time ago. It did happen. And one of the things they said they were going to do was basically put huge chunks of this money that is made through the revenue of of selling uh, marijuana to uh, back into schools. Number one, mm. for educational purposes, as far as making sure that, that kids aren't, of, of course, abusing drugs, but but just just education in general to bring the level up to to rebuild the schools to raise the teacher pay. So and, that obviously didn't happen, and it didn't happen. You know, it didn't really happen. It was a one of those promises that was made, and then now it's just that's it. It's promise is broken. You know, so really sad, uh, disappointed, and hopefully these guys actually they're supposed to strike, I believe, tomorrow. So hopefully they reach a deal, and they're able to not have to go in and walk out of the school there and. Again, in in Colorado. This next article is pretty interesting. And we hope that um, if you're an administrator out there and have some sway over um, how your schools um, are scheduled in terms of the the blocks of your day, um, it makes a huge difference, right? Yeah, It's, it's interesting how different schedules are throughout the United States, much like, I mean, not only throughout the United States and different states, but even district to district within the states. Hmm. So there's really no like agreement, I guess, as far as to what is the ideal schedule. Um, a lot of people have settled on a seven period schedule as the schedule I used to work in with, with around 50 minute classes, uh, three to four minute passing periods uh, as far as throughout the day. Uh, some people have 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 gone to a what's called a four period block schedule, and sometimes it might be an A B block schedule, but uh, that would be ninety minute classes, so longer classes, only four class periods per day. Uh, if it was A B block, you'd have four classes one day, and then the next day you'd have this B block of those classes, or so the other opposite four classes. So a student might be taking eight courses at the same time, uh, or just the normal block would just be four classes at once. Uh, really the most important part as we were delving into all of these types of schedules was, and the most important part that teachers need to remember is that really you need to make sure that, especially in those longer periods of time, and I'm talking anytime it goes over an hour, that you have a variety of activities that you're using as far as in your class. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. just yeah, a lecture worksheet class a lecture activity, you know, kind of thing where it's the exact same thing every day, just doing a disservice to your students. You need to have a variety of different breaks. We, we've seen all the brain research where it says the more starts that you have, 
those like the first five minutes of every, the beginning of every activity is the most stuff that you're actually retaining. All of those things where you culminate something, you, you start something new and transition and even physical movement. I was thinking about imagine mm-hmm. sitting in a class. We've, we've done it, you know, at the college level, I'm sure a lot of us where you sat an hour and a half. Oh, it's horrible. Mm. That you know, you're just sitting there and you're just listening to whatever it might be, and you're taking notes or whatever. It's really difficult. So having breaks between that, being able to transition, and and really doing that as as educators is super important. Uh, it doesn't matter which schedule you actually are working in. You got to mix it up. I mean, I can't imagine subjecting a, a kid to seven different blocks of class, and they're all the same. In terms of like the style and substance, even if the subjects are different, um, you know, if the style is the same for each one of them, that that kid's going to tune out, you know, after the first 10 minutes, especially if it's that way every day. I mean, that sounds like a horrible way to do school. (laughs) Like, I mean, it sounds like the absolute worst. Yeah, Uh, horrible. So take a take i i think it's i think it's important for uh reflection for schools and high schools in particular where this this is a is a real thing i mean some elementary upper elementary schools have rotations and stuff like that yeah um but this kind of um deeper thinking is important like like it's it's not the weeds it's it matters it matters a lot um, because it does affect not only the way that, that the kids learn, but it affects how the teachers teach. Um, how, how long were your classes, Mike, when you were teaching your computer science classes to your, you, you had around middle school students, right? Yep. So yep. I taught two to eight. Um, so, so the younger classes were an hour the, for grade two, three, four, two threes and fours were an hour. That's uh, I had long. an hour a week. Oh, and hmm? you, so one out, one straight hour for that. An hour a week, yeah. Okay. A straight hour, yeah. That's and pretty then, long, a period of time for a second grader, right? I mean, for you to like engage. Oh, well, for, I mean, for an hour. You know, I mean, remember they, that you spend your first forty minutes of that hour getting them just to log into the damn computer. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, "Remember that I had a variety of different things." I saw your Lego packs. You had all kinds of crazy. Oh, I had that too. Robots. And but let's kinds- be real for a second here. Yeah, <laughs> they, were, they were putting in their password for the first. <laughs> I remember once having someone come in to watch me teach, and um, it was the grade twos, and she said, "Mike, I didn't know." I didn't realize it was like this down here. I have a whole new view of how hard it would be to teach computers to to six-year-olds. <laughs> because it's like, okay, we're going to type our username now. Do you remember which box the username goes in? That's tough. And then, okay, boys and girls, yeah. you know, we're going to type in the bottom box now. You know what goes in the bottom box it's your password. <laughs> One, two, three, four. <laughs> Tell me what a password is, everybody. And that like, no, it's legit. That was yeah. that was my grade two computer science class. That's, but that's you gotta awesome. you gotta One start. Hour. One hour. You gotta start somewhere, man. So so grade six, sevens, and eights were an hour and a half. Oh man. That's really I mean, 
that's so different. Uh, you got to get a lot done though. Like, I mean, I mean, no, it's I hard mean, to get yeah. rolling on something. And then just when you start, like, especially with coding, I found that, that those hour, that hour and a half class made a huge difference because yeah. the kids would just it. start to get into a groove. Yeah. Um, like, and it takes, like, you got to get your head going into like, like weedsy coding. Like, and like when, when I talk about like scratch, yeah. And what the kids were doing in my class in Scratch, it was insane. Like, very complex Scratch yeah. coding, as complex as you've ever seen. Well, and they were so, games too. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like it was kids were basically like kind of basically project based learning. Yeah, creating from beginning to end. Yeah. So it takes it takes like let's say you just came from French class or music class would maybe even be worse. Yeah, where your your head is in a totally different mode. And then you got to come and, you know, almost buckle down and you're working on your code for your computer game. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's a whole different thing. And so we needed that hour and a half because it took, you know, some time just to kind of get into that groove I found for the kids to, to kind of get rolling. And it's like, if you're an hour, I mean, you, you, you really just get started and then it's like, Oh, classes done yeah so those hour and a half classes were actually i had a couple classes one year the grade eights i think were two hour blocks oh wow which was usually um, really really strange yeah um it was once a week but it was it was interesting so i've had all different sizes and and forms of classes um it was really weird teaching grade two day computer science especially there was one year i had grade two and then grade eight and then grade two and then grade eight in the same day that's a mixture that's a that's a (laughs) that messes with your head man i just thinking about eighth grade that's a difficult grade anyway oh yeah second grade yeah wow that's they're, just, they're, that's they're, they're very difficult for two, two totally different reasons. You should have had some videos about that stuff. Especially oh, the transition I, between like, like your own self video, you know, of you, the way that you were approaching the teaching, even how yeah. you had just back and forth. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, that's awesome. It was, I love it. It was an interesting <laughs> experience. So I, I get the value of what, what a block of time means and, and, you know, what you can do with it for sure. Um, all right. You ready to to tackle your favorite your favorite punching bag? We've been holding off. We're like, Glenn, let's save this. We're saving this to the end because uh, I don't know what's going to happen and how much editing we're going to have to do. But um, but our our favorite, well, Glenn's favorite website, Teachers Pay Teachers, is back into the discourse um, because I guess you're going to have to set this up. There was a survey. Okay, so. I, I'm teaching this course uh, for university level students that are about to teach. So they're right now they're doing either their student teaching or actually some of them have teaching jobs and are on a, a special license. We, in Minnesota, we call it a variance. Um, and so they need to f- basically finish up their, their courses um, and they're taking this technology class. Now, throughout the nation, there's kind of like there was this um, this week and it just happened this past week and where each day they were going to do this slow chat for pre-service teachers. So it's a great activity, a great practice, right? Um, each day there was a question um, that the teachers had to answer. And one of the days the question was, hey, so what is your, what are some of your favorite sites or, 
uh, resources to go to your go-to resources or sites, you know, for, for materials, et cetera, whatever it might be. Overwhelmingly, and I mean, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of pre-service teachers on, on this chat. The two things that came up were Instagram and Teachers Pay Teachers. And that made me very sad <laughs> as the place where they are seeking out their resources. Oh, boy. So, so it's it's the it's the thing that's it's already they already have the fever, the teachers pay teachers fever. They've got they the virus. If, if I say, hey, huh, I have to teach a unit on etc. Because someone in my in my department told me I have to do. It's like okay, so where am I going to come up with some ideas about how, how am I going to you know approach this or whatever it might be? Oh, they're like, oh, there's no approach. Go to teachers pay teachers. It's already done for. It's like grossness. Uh. It's so gross, and I I don't know much about Pinterest, so I can't be I can't destroy Pinterest. And I know that for elementary uh, teachers, there is a huge mo- movement that happens on Pinterest. A lot yeah, of yeah, yeah, totally. and things that are there, and I actually think that those are intertwined a lot, Mike. Because this is a kind of what I've seen, and the kind of what I got grossed out by Instagram. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, Pinterest is you would click on a thing to look at something, and then and it would like, link oh. you right to the right to the teacher's pay teacher page. A good look for and their teacher's you... pay teacher store. Yeah. Yeah, they pros, them man. Dollar ninety nine, and then yeah. boom, buy it for a dollar ninety nine. And so it's it it just it's a conversation that I'm going to be having with my uh, incoming teachers. I'm I'm going to try to remain. Uh, <laughs> neutral just do it man re-indoctrinate them get them (laughs) it's gonna be very difficult i just want them to talk about like okay so what could be the pros and cons of of basically going to uh, you know what's a business you know this is a business that's that's uh you know you have some resources out there uh even though it might be the highest rated resource about this one thing you know what could be some of the negatives you know as far as we can go there we can at least have a conversation about it because my goodness and uh the other reason why it even came up in this whole entire thing i wanted to talk about is this this uh, uh guy this teacher paul emrich wrote this article and it's it's all of the thoughts that i've all of the arguments that i've had with like you and like michael matera and all of these other people that i've had with but put in a super eloquent way in a blog post that he wrote basically uh, called the problem with teachers pay teachers. And it's very eloquently put together. It was just written here in August. Uh, highly recommend it. We'll make sure we link it. I actually want to have Paul on the show because I want him to talk us through just kind of not only this, this part or this view of his, but my goodness, just seeing some of the stuff that he's doing in his classes and talking about his thought process, his backwards design, and how important it is for him to make sure that when he creates something, it's for the students that are sitting in front of him, not for the masses. And that's really what teachers pay teachers. You put something together that can be used for the masses. And so what does that actually mean? And he does a really good job of explaining um, why that might not be the best thing in the world. So again, it's my it's my all my my passionate topic about uh you know how it grosses me out but um i i think it's a great conversation to have and hopefully we can get paul on the show sometime soon to be able to continue this conversation because i don't think that our that we should all that should be the first place we look to it might be a place that right. we do end up going to yeah 
it shouldn't be the first one. Ugh. No, I, yeah. I mean, and you're speaking to one of the parts in the middle that I think is the most profound, at least the one that, that resonated with me the most about it being mindless, about it being a crutch for teachers to lean on so they don't have to think about what they're doing and how they're going to do it. They just, Oh, I'm going to do a unit on community. Let's go search community on teachers pay teachers (laughs) and find the best looking, you know, thing on teachers pay teachers for community. And it's like, I have 20 bucks. Let's do it. And then they download it and then they take it. They take the files and they put them on their Google Drive and then they download them at school the next morning and they print them off on the printer. And it's like, hey, guys, I have this whole unit on community and all that I had to do is pay 15 bucks for it or 20 bucks for it. And I didn't have to do a damn thing. I understand that. And and here's the punchline. Isn't that awesome, guys? (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, and I do get the part about time. You know, I I had a little bit of a discourse with some people. I always do uh, about this topic, but as far as the discourse about uh, there's this time crunch and you don't have enough time to blah blah blah, whatever it might be. But I mean, honestly, if that happens once in a blue moon and you used it, for example, to be able to come up with one specific topic, whatever it might be, and but at least you please make sure you buy it and you really go through it too. A lot of people be just mindful of the resources you're buying. That's, that's I mean, all that. And because they paid for it, they're using that damn thing. Even yeah, if it sucks, yeah. they're going to put it out there and they're going to yeah. use it. It's like, you can't do that. You gotta, no. you gotta vet the stuff. And then yeah. sometimes I have actually seen a lot of people do this. So if you do this, you rock. Some people go buy the stuff, Mike. And then they look at it and they go, okay, cool. This gave me a bunch of ideas. I'm just going to remix this and then put it in my own, what fits my students and what fits me. And then this is what I'm actually going to present, you know, Um, you know, that, that is, is, is something completely different. You know, it's where you're getting the ideas and you're coming up with something, then you're going to put it out there. Just make sure you don't remix it and then sell it back on Teachers Pay Teachers. (laughs) This is (laughs) (laughs) right. Yeah. So this is the this is the part of this section where I suck up to my wife. Okay. (laughs) Who is absolutely on like a I'm going to make sure I listen to your podcast every week now and then tell you all the ways that you're wrong. Oh. Um, No, she doesn't do that all the time. (laughs) She's also going to get mad at me for saying just what I just said there. But hi, Cheryl. <laughs> hi, Cheryl. Um, Cheryl is a kindergarten teacher, yes. and Cheryl has spent thousands of hours making yeah. her own materials, doing her own things on her cricket, cutting yes. out things, um, finding like um, um, clip art and stuff to do to do her own you know, things for art and stuff like that. Thousands. We have stuff all in like boxes and bins and binders worth of stuff that she's created that she just doesn't want to throw away because you never know when you're going to want to, you know, get those out and use them again. Yeah. She also buys stuff from teachers pay teachers. I mean, we have two kids. Yes. Uh, she has a husband that works five jobs <laughs> uh, and travels uh for for his crazy guy main job um 
you know, and we're busy, like we're busy, 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 busy. Um, I don't get on her about teachers pay teachers and, and she'll, she'll say this and I, and I know she'll say it to me as soon as she hears this, but like <laughs> she really is thoughtful about what she buys and why she buys it and whether she can do a better job making the thing herself yeah. or if, if it's literally the thing that she was going to make, but she can pay someone a dollar and she doesn't have to spend the money at the dollar store to buy the materials and then the seven to 10 hours to, to produce it. If she can buy all that for like a couple bucks. I mean, that's time is worth things to people. And um, I am fully supportive of Cheryl buying these materials. And I think that you would be too. I'm thinking though, that Cheryl is probably, and I would want to put words in her mouth, but when she purchases these things, it's to, it's like you just called it materials, right? I would right. distinguish between materials, which would be the supplementary things that you need in order to do X, Y, and Z, yeah. right? And it, I know what you're and, and, or the difference would be just the damn curriculum and the what you're going to teach. The yeah. damn course. Like you're what like, I alluded to before, yeah. You buy the thing and you're like, I'm teaching this from page one to yeah. whatever it might be. And we're going to do every one of the activities between here and then. And I really haven't even looked at any of the activities, but someone marked it for four and a half stars in this thing. And we're going to use it. No, she doesn't so do that. Really big difference between those two things. Huge you know? difference. Because again, I've used a, a free resource on Teachers Pay Teachers that was a map, a overhead map of a 2D map, I want to call it, of a city. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've used it to be able to go ahead and create a flipped video about giving directions from one place to the other. This kind of uh, overhead view of this map. I didn't create the map itself, but I created everything about, you know, kind of the whole entire sure. lesson. This was like a resource, you know, you could call it that, you know, those types of things. And I'm thinking that's exactly how Cheryl and actually maybe many people are using it. It's just that if you reach out and say that this is going to be where you're going to get your curriculum from and your things, your daily things you're going to teach from. It's gross. It's, it could be a bad. It just could be bad. And, and it's such an unprofessional bad it. habit to get into. Uh -huh. Yeah, people will see through it. Your, your administrators will see through it. Your students, they will see through it because they will know it's not you. They will know it's not authentic. It's not something that's, you know, but even they will be able to see that you're not passionate about it you yeah. know that you're not like oh yeah check this out you know because you when you create something and we know this because we're we create all kinds of things we're just like super passionate about it mm -hmm. and they can see that and they can buy into whatever it might be there it is when we come back we're going to be joined by another passionate creator uh we'll be joined by the host of the teachers on fire podcast mr tim cavey so stay with us on Education is brought to you by Taylor Ed. As teachers, meeting the needs of each and every student in today's classroom is time-consuming, complicated, and overwhelming. Taylor Ed makes differentiation in math effortless through curated resources, smart student grouping, and student insights beyond proficiency. Sign up today by using the promo code ONEDUCATION and receive three months on us. Visit taylor-ed.com for more information. On Education is also brought to you by Fidgets. 
Fidgets are interactive USB sensors that support all major programming languages that make physical computing easy. Fidgets keep the emphasis on coding while increasing student engagement. And the best part is that you can get started for free right now. Simply go to bit.ly slash fidgets on education to get your introductory kit that includes a free sensor worth over $50. That's bit.ly slash fidgets on education. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Tim Cavey is with us. He is an educator, content creator, and best known as the host of the Teachers on Fire podcast. Welcome to On Education, Tim. Thank you so much for having me, Mike and Glenn. This feels a little surreal to be here with you guys after being a listener for a long time. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're pumped about this. Uh, Tim, before we get going, uh, we're going to take a deep dive into podcasting and content creation and all that fun stuff. But before we do that, let's let's give everyone a bit of an introduction. Give us the uh, Tim KV 101. Sure. Yeah, I'm an eighth grade teacher out here in Surrey, BC, Canada. So think Seattle, a little bit north of Seattle. And I've been, I think this is my 19th year teaching. So I've been at it for quite some time. It doesn't mean I've gotten better every single year. So I'm still learning a ton. But yeah, right now I'm a homeroom teacher. So I teach a lot of subjects and I teach a couple of electives, media arts and entrepreneurship that I'm also really excited about. So, and I know we'll talk about the podcasting side of things as well, but that's been a relatively new venture for me, the uh, the whole Teachers on Fire thing. Yeah, why don't you uh, go ahead and let our audience know about the Teachers on Fire podcast? Well, thank you so much for the question. And yeah, it's my pleasure. So it, I mean, they just, I would imagine, similar to you guys, I started out I think at a similar time around the spring of, of 2018, let me get my years right here. Yeah. 2018, I was in a master's in education, uh, educational leadership program at the time. And I had read early in the program, I had read Carol Dweck's mindset and similar to Mike's backflip talk, you know, it really got me in this frame of mind about how can I stretch myself? How can I push myself and, and and make sure that I'm always growing and, and, you know, trying things that make me uncomfortable. And so that in connection with being a longtime podcast listener and fan myself really convinced me to give this podcasting thing a go. I was a longtime listener of a, a, an entrepreneurship podcast actually called Entrepreneurs on Fire. Oh, and, cool. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and, and that's still out there. And I know it, you know, you must feel like I, I just ripped off the name, but I, I actually looked really hard for a unique twist on education or teaching. And I knew I wanted one of those words to be in the title, right? Just for search and SEO purposes. And so I finally settled on Teachers on Fire. I did not know what I was doing, but I had the support of my graduate studies uh, classmates behind me. And I started interviewing and one thing led to another, and and here we are. Um, I just aired episode one hundred and four a couple of days ago, so it's it's been a fun ride. So you you interview uh, you interview similar to us, I guess you 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 in well actually I think you have a almost strictly interview podcast it's it's sure. it's basically you have a longer conversation with your guests. So talk about 
maybe talk a little bit about your formatting decisions, how you went through the process of thinking about how you actually wanted to do your podcast. Um, and, you know, maybe even delve a little bit deeper into the the choosing of the name and how that kind of synergizes with the people you choose to be on the podcast and stuff like that. Sure. So, I mean, my, my subtext or my, my slogan, I guess, is profiling agents of growth and transformation and education. And so that's really the model that I've chosen to go with is looking hard at the whole person, the whole educator. What are they specializing in? What are they passionate about? Where are they learning? And what are the things that they're learning outside of education? And sometimes that's a hard question for educators to answer, right? Because we kind of obsess a little bit about this craft, but I want to know what are people learning and creating outside of the school building. And then I get into some of the voices and resources that are shaping their thinking and inspiring their practice. So, you know, you asked about my formatting decisions and I'll refer back to John Lee Dumas and his podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire. And there are many other great entrepreneurship podcasts out there. Pat Flynn and Gary Vee are a couple that come to mind. But John at the time was following this fairly strict or, or maybe consistent outline, interview outline, where he would put similar questions to most of his guests. And I really appreciated that format as a listener. And, you know, there are lots of different formats out there, but I, I started to look forward to, you know, the, the story of a low point in someone's career and, you know, some of the, some of the resources that they rely on, their favorite app and, and just all of that good stuff. And so I, I tried to replicate that in educational terms, I guess you would say on my podcast and, and so, you know, I have friendly debates with some of our edu podcaster friends about just go with the flow, which I think is a little bit more how you guys roll. And I definitely appreciate your content, but I, I tend to be a little bit more structured and, and hopefully that resonates with some listeners too. So Tim, one of our favorite conversations that Mike and I like to have is, or reminisce at least about our, the guests that we've had actually on the show. So who are some of your favorite guests and, and why? Oh, man. You know, that's a, a an unfair question, right? Great. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I, I definitely don't want to make enemies. But I guess one that jumps to mind right away is Dan Ryder. And he's the author. Are you guys familiar with him? Yeah. He's yes. the author of a book called Intention, Critical Creativity in the Classroom, and or co-author. He wrote it with Amy Burval. And he talked about getting rid of dumpster projects. And, you know, that thinking fits right beside A.J. Giuliani and John Spencer. I, I've had A.J. Giuliani on, on the show as well. I know you guys speak to him regularly, right? And those guys are all about trying to bring authentic products into the classroom mm -hmm. products and content that actually make a difference that actually means something and hopefully make a difference in the world. And so I'm definitely far from actualizing on that, but that's become a goal. And I've tried to move away from projects and work that just ends up in the trash bin and yeah. try to move my learners toward, you know, things like podcasts. I mean, there we are back at podcasts, but I did a little bit of that last year and I look forward to doing more of it this year. Things that can actually speak and make a difference in the world. 
when I I love I love that question about guests because um it it allows me even the opportunity to reminisce a little bit but also you know we're lucky uh the three of us to to talk to other amazing unbelievable educators that are just doing mind-blowing things and and changing my mind like one of the things i like to remind people all the time even though i'm i'm very quick to debate with people and glenn always <laughs> jokes that that people poke me all the time just to get a get it get me going but <laughs> but i'm also i'm also very movable like you can convince right. me of of anything and and so i love listening to even though you know i i was teaching for a while and and i had you know, established ideas and the way things, you know, would be in my class. Um, you know, when I think back on it and, you know, you brought up AJ who I talk about all the time because he absolutely blew my mind, you know, when I, we had him on and when I met him about the things that he was doing and how I hadn't done those things in my class. Is there, is there, is there something you think back on when you have talked to someone and it just made your head explode? Like you just couldn't like you were speechless, almost like I was when I was thinking about AJ Giuliani and his project-based learning rubrics and, and assessing the process, not the product. Like that stuff made my head explode. Is there something that just changed the way you thought about your own teaching? In fact, well, my answer doesn't speak absolutely perfectly to your question, but I'll, I'll share this and I, I think it works. So I interviewed someone named Pernille Rip, and I, I don't know if you guys have come across her work, but she is a prolific blogger and, and mother of four and teacher. She has a huge following. She's written a number of books on literacy, just a phenomenal person. She's from Wisconsin. And so it was one of those guests that I just couldn't believe I had on the other end. Right. And so I was speaking with her, had a great conversation. You know, she got pretty authentic, pretty real about something that had happened with her daughter in terms of bullying and, and then meeting the musician pink and just a phenomenal interview. And then I promoted the interview out on social media and I got absolutely called out. <laughs> so oh, someone, wow. Yeah, a couple of people. One in particular, I, I tagged someone who was mentioned in the interview who who speaks on behalf of equity and, and diversity in education. And she called me out to say, and I, I wish I could quote it and, and pull up the tweet for you, but basically she said, your guest lineup is way too white. And, mm -hmm. you know, educators are not just white. You need to do better, basically. And then her tweet got a ton of likes and retweets. <laughs> and, and, you know, all, you, you get all of those feelings of defensiveness and maybe some indignation. I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, a part of me wants to pull up like, hey, have you have you really looked at my guest lineup? I mean, I had this person and this person, you know, and I, I a part of you wants to argue. And then you realize, you know what, there's there's some truth in what she's saying and I can do better. And so from that interview with Pernil, I started actually tracking on, on my, my spreadsheet, <laughs> you know, keeping track of guests who represent visual minorities, who, who bring those different perspectives because, and I'm sure this is a conversation you guys have had. I mean, 
we can re- we can try to rely on being quote nice guys, but we've got our white guy blinders on, don't we? And I'm the whitest white guy you've ever met. <laughs> I, jo- and, I say it all the time. <laughs> yeah, and you know, so here I was just thinking, like, man, I'm just going to be a good educator and a good person, and I'm going to interview people who are making a difference, and and the, yeah. you know, the the diversity and equity will just sort itself out. But that wasn't happening. And so right. I, I learned from her that, man, we have to be in this business. We have to be intentional. We have to be thoughtful. And if the stats are true that, for example, only 2% of K-12 educators are African-American men, well, we actually have to do better than 2% in terms of who we interview. You know what I mean? So we actually have to give voice to those underrepresented populations in education. So that was a game-changing interview for me. So this is a broad question. Answer it however you want. Sure. Why Why podcasting? Like, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I talk to you fairly often, or at least uh, on Voxer, where, where I'm listening to you and communicating with you fairly often, almost daily, to be honest. And, you know, I think you could have probably gotten into a lot of other content creation pathways and i i I think you are now even um but why why has this become your i would i would guess anyways your primary vehicle of content creation well mike i was hoping you would ask me that question actually so i've got a blog post handy here that i wrote (laughs) that i wrote a month ago called why i podcast but and there's a lot i could say and i'm sure a lot you guys could say here but you know, Seth Godin said that podcasting is the new blogging. And Adam Welcome, when he came on my show, said, you know, everyone should be podcasting. And that might sound like a joke, but I actually think he's right. Mm-hmm. That in this age of on-demand audio, when you and I can pull out our phone and, and fire off a recording in Anchor and syndicate it across 12 platforms for free, mm-hmm. that, that's an easy, that's a no-brainer. So... Mm-hmm. Just very quickly, let me give you a few reasons why I think podcasting is amazing. Number one, it's an amazing way to share best practices for teaching and learning. And I mentioned, you know, the Teachers on Fire podcast is syndicated across 12 platforms for free. I don't have to do a thing to push those out. Number two, podcasts amplify the voices of inspiring educators. And so I've had the opportunity to interview people who are not well connected on social media. They're not rock stars at all outside of their own building, but I'm able to share their ideas and their content with hundreds and, and potentially thousands of other educators. They This whole business of interviewing and podcasting continues my own professional growth and learning. As Again, as you guys know, you it, it kind of keeps you on your toes, right? It keeps you in the mm-hmm. game. You, you can't mm-hmm. take two or three weeks off, let's say, and just cruise Along, I mean, all of these guests challenge my thinking and they stimulate my practice. They connect you with other amazing educators. They help you to build a platform and find your own voice. And I, I love your story. I think, Glenn, you said that before on education, you didn't even listen to podcasts. Is that, or maybe you still, maybe you still don't. <laughs> no, I, didn't. I actually do. Yeah. I, I and, before. and, uh, the last thing is that podcasts are making an enormous difference. And I af- actually have to do a better job of sharing some of the testimonials I collected. 
So my master's thesis was actually on this whole idea of how are educational podcasts impacting the profession? How are they changing education? And it's phenomenal, guys. It's really, really exciting. It's actually under-researched. There's a lot of academic research that's been done on this whole idea of formal institutional podcasts, like think podcasts that are derived from a particular university course or professor to sort of yeah. supplement learning for with narrow learning goals. But very little research has been done. I mean, very little on the space that you and I are in. And so it's really exciting. I mean, people count on this content and there are a lot of people like me who basically don't listen to music or talk radio in the car anymore. It's really all about learning and, and growing each day. So there's something about this medium. I mean, I looked at YouTube. I looked at starting a vlog. And in terms of just listener and viewer, well, listener retention, there's nothing like podcasts because people can listen when they're mowing the lawn and washing dishes, driving, working out. And people will listen for a good 30, 40, 50 minutes when YouTube creators have trouble retaining for five or six minutes. So. It's an awesome medium. So, Tim, have you always been interested in content creation? So, I mean, you're an educator. Were you always creating? I mean, even before, you know, kind of basically publishing your things to a global audience? I have been, and I haven't really put it into practice as much as I have in the last two years. But, Glenn, I just go back to eighth grade for me back in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and and I, I was the nerdy student who went to the teacher and said, hey, can I make a class newspaper? And, <laughs> and he let me do it. And it was filled with some, some hockey stories and some local news and some school yeah. news. And I was using an old program called Printmaster, which was, oh, man, wow. that, that, that thing was ancient. But, you know, just aligning columns and putting graphics in place. And, you know, that was a joy even at 13 years old. So. Oh. I, I've played around with blogging and with website creation. I think about Angel Fire and GeoCities. I don't know if you guys remember those those websites, but it's always been a joy for sure. And it's it's really only been in the last couple of years that I've actually gotten real about sharing content, which is super exciting. On Education is brought to you by FreshGrade. FreshGrade have always been known as digital portfolio innovators, but FreshGrade Next is the all-new learning network made for modern teachers and tech-savvy students with amazing new student-driven learning journals. Students can upload their own content and conduct ongoing self-reflection to create their own record of learning progress. Integrated, simple, and powerful. To learn more about FreshGrade Next and sign up for your free account, visit freshgrade.com. All right, so Tim, one of the um, f- fun things that I've been seeing going around, especially Edu Twitter um, lately, is 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 a common critique about the the book space. Okay, the educational book space becoming maybe a a little bit flooded at the moment. There's there's it seems like almost every week a new book, a new Edu book is coming out. Um, and, and it's getting a little, there's a lot, there's a lot out there. And as a dude who's in the middle of writing a book, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of it for sure. Um, and 
I feel like I'm starting to almost see the same trend happen in podcasting now as well. Educational podcasting. There are a lot of educational podcasts and like half the people we've interviewed on the podcast <laughs> have podcasts now. Um, they may not have had them before, but they, they have them now. Um, so I'm wondering what you think about the growth of educational podcasting about the, um, the amount, just the volume of them. Um, whether there's, if you think we're going to get into a signal versus noise issue at some point, or if you think that this is, we're good, this is a, a rising tide raises all boats kind of thing. That's a great question. That has, you know, some of those questions have crossed my mind as well. I, I guess I would lean more toward the latter that a rising tide raises all boats. I, I think the more the merrier. You know, I just came across another education star starting her own podcast a few days ago. And I think that's that's awesome. It's it's great to get more voices out there. And so I, I don't view education. I don't view any other educational podcast as competition, let's say, because I do think that educational podcaster is going to reach some people in their world and in their community and their network that yeah. is is going to make more converts of educators in terms of listeners to edu podcasts. So, mm -hmm. you know, our, our mutual friend Joshua Stamper made a point a few months ago that out of all of the people he interviews, it's still a, a great minority of educators that come into his building that are actually listening to education podcasts. And so we have to yeah. face facts and say we have to do a better job of, of getting that message out. And we're competing against everyone from Joe Rogan in the podcast space to, you know, to, as I mentioned earlier, talk radio and, and pop music or whatever else people listen to. But we've got a lot of different voices, as you said. And so within the edgy podcast community, I, I tend to just cheer them on. I think, you know, over time, some of the lightweights or, or the not so serious producers and creators will fall away and for better or for worse. I mean, I, I think to really build an audience in this game, as I know you guys agree that it, it does require consistency. And so if you're, if you're haphazard about it, if you only throw out an episode every two or three weeks or you let a couple months go by, then it's really hard to build an audience. So it's not for the faint of heart, I guess I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if, if I could speak to the book topic, actually, I mean, it's, it's kind of Do a related it, it's kind of a related question. But my only stipulation or I guess my only request is to these publishers, you know, keep the, the bar of quality high. And yeah. so okay. we, we have, we have a few publishers in the education space that, you know, I've enjoyed their stuff. They, they're putting out inspiring content, but it's, it's not academically cited, which, which is okay. I mean, I'll, I'll read stuff that's not cited or, or necessarily research backed, but you know, sometimes I'll, I'll come across errors in, in the manuscript or, you know, in the book, in the text. And I just think like, there is a potential to pump out books and literature so fast that the mm -hmm. the quality starts to go down a little bit. And I, I just wonder if maybe that's happening sometimes. Again, with books, I think, you know, I've, I've heard it said that the book is the new business card. I mean, it's a great way to let people know what you're all about in education. I would like to write a book. You guys are coming out with a book, which is awesome. 
And it actually, is it from both of you or just Mike? Okay. Just Mike. Yep. And, and I mean, that's going to be incredible. Uh, and I, by the way, Mike, well, when we'll I, see, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> you just I, said I, the bar needs to be higher. So, you know, <laughs> thanks for that. Tim, I'm yeah. going to follow up with the question about the educational books. Do you think, cause this is the thing that I've heard that there's just a lot of material that's being basically regurgitated. So we're, we're seeing a, a book was written and then now we have the repeat of that book, kind of this, the way that it was written, Repackaged. the files, kind of some quotes. And then because that book was a major hit, um, now everybody's kind of following that same the model and it almost feels like it's the repeat of that book. Do you know what I mean? What I mean? So we see For a sure. book and we're like, holy, this book is amazing. But then you're like seeing second and third versions from other people and it might be very similar and you're like, uh, okay. You know, do you think something like that is also happening out there? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it, it probably is to some extent because we're all kind of swimming in the same pool, especially Mm -hmm. the, the edu Twitters. Right. So Mm -hmm. a, a lot of the same buzzwords are flying around and a lot of the same great ideas. And so, some of that is bound to happen, but again, we're hearing it. I mean, a, a great expression that I go back to when I think about the edgy podcast space and it applies to books just as, as well is no one does it like you. Yeah. No one, no one says it like you, you've got your own unique perspective, your own message. So even if there is, a, you know, and another message I pass on to my students is that everything is remix. And I don't know if you guys have seen that video on YouTube. It's phenomenal. And it just goes to this idea that, you know what? There is no such thing as original in the sense of this holy grail of like a brand new idea that it was completely untouched by any other idea. I mean, we're all remixing. And so, yeah, I, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I think everyone's everyone's got a perspective and and I hope I'm, you know, when I put out a book, Glenn, it'll probably have some, some people, some ideas from, from great people that I admire, and, you know, and I just hope that I'm able to attribute all those ideas with respect. But you I know, even think about yeah. that when we talk, when we speak, um, as I listen to it's inspirational people and they give their, deliver their keynotes or just even yeah. any kind of conference things where I intentionally don't want to go ahead and say what they're saying. You know, I don't, I don't want to just, you know, what I've heard is great messages and whatever it might be, but it's, you know, if it's, it doesn't come from some kind of story that came from my life, from my experiences, like me, I, I, it's really hard then to share that passion, you know, with, with your audience. So I think that's a similar thing with what, where our projects here, as far as podcasting or whether you're writing a book or whatever it might be, um, that authenticity is super important. So Tim, you do all kinds of stuff. You're, you're an educator. You have this massive podcast. What else, what other projects are you working on right now? So two others that I'll mention. One is the Teacher Blogs podcast, which is just a baby podcast at this point. But the cool thing there is that it's fed by teachers who just record themselves reading their blog posts on their phones. And so I've published about 35 episodes over there. And 
So that I, I just like the idea of a crowdsourced podcast. And yeah. so if you, I think I recorded one or two of the episodes, but the vast majority are other people, other voices. And so that's been a lot of fun. And then I guess along a similar vein, if you're familiar with a platform called Medium or medium.com, yeah. it's a, it's an app as well. And, and Medium is basically a curator of, of blog posts. But it, because it has that human curating element, you tend to get a little bit more quality on the on the user end of things, if I could say that. So I started a publication there on, on Medium called the Teachers on Fire magazine, and I just received a couple of submissions today from educators. And so it's my pleasure to publish those and hopefully just amplify. It's just another way of amplifying the voices of educators that have great ideas and they're putting out amazing content and then I can use the podcast to further promote their message. So, you know, not everyone out there is a reader. I've heard educators say in the staff room, I hate reading, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I, I think for those educators, they might never pick up a book or actually stop to read a blog post, but they might listen to a podcast. And so I'm just trying to think about different ways, uh, different mediums, no pun intended, to try to reach more ears and hopefully transform education incrementally in the process. Yeah, man, your your medium page is fantastic. It's actually um, been influential in some of the decisions we've made as far as wanting to be better at blogging um, and, and, and show your show notes are spectacular. <laughs> Thank um, you. So, so for, for a podcast, you do a, a, a hell of a lot of writing. Um, which is, which is awesome to be honest. I, I, I think that there's, there's gotta be some care that you decide to put into that. Like you, you're doing this intentionally, the, this extensive show notes and, and, and lots of writing, um, you're doing all that intentionally, right? Like there's, there's purpose there. hundred percent. And I know that's your expression, Mike, but, uh, <laughs> oh, here we yeah, go. no, I, I, yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, my goal there is to really build something. I, I, I think I have some modest writing skills. And so if I can put something together that really honors the guest and leaves a bit of a legacy on the interweb, something that might be picked up by someone who maybe can't listen, maybe they're in a Costco lineup mm -hmm. and, and they're they're just searching a name and they want to find out more about a person. I think writing a thoughtful post about the conversation is a great way to do that. And so, you know, my, my website right now isn't getting, getting insane traffic, but it's building over time. And I think it probably needs a facelift as well. And, and maybe I'll be calling on you guys for some help in that space, but yeah, it's, it's something that I enjoy. And that's awesome. So, so Tim, where can people reach out to connect with you? Uh, plug away. Tell us, tell us all the ways that we can um, connect with Tim Cavey. Well, I will keep it simple, guys. It's teachersonfire.net. That's the website. And then Teachers on Fire on every other platform. I would love for people to drop by and, and check out what I'm doing. And, guys, I continue to be a huge fan of on education. I distinctly remember you know, right in the heart of my graduate studies, year one, listening to on education and, and you guys were inspiring. So that was before I knew anything about Schoology and and, and Minecraft and, and half the stuff you guys talk about. So keep up the great work. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tim, for, for being on. Tim Cavey, everybody. Thank you.
Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the Education Podcast Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Jennifer Gonzalez, Matt Miller, and many more by visiting edupodcastnetwork.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Classcraft, for supporting us. Check out classcraft.com slash oneducation to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.